another installment of Armchair Adventure. I'm your host, Kane Smith. Joining us is a new guest by the name of Dan Gavin. Dan, how are you today? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. It's a real honor. Uh, I feel great. First time here. Hopefully I don't mess it up too much. We'll see, won't we? Yeah. Uh, okay, so Dan, today I'm taking you to Peru, South America. Wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Kane, you, you totally, you totally misguided me when you told me about what this podcast was about. I, I really can't leave the country right now. It's, I can't do that. Okay, well, I've already purchased the tickets. We're going. You're coming with oh, me. Oh, God. 250 miles, about 400 kilometers south of the capital, Lima, to the Nazca Desert. Now, what do you think might be interesting about the Nazca Desert, Dan? Uh, Probably nothing, right? Yeah, pretty dry, barren. Very dry. In fact, one of the driest places in the world. Oh. And uh, very, very, very little wind. Uh, Now, what that did was foster something kind of interesting that's been there for somewhere around 2,000 years now. A series of very large geoglyphs, kind of uh, lines and shapes etched into the iron oxide, the rust-coated pebbles of this desert, where there's kind of a pale yellow soil underneath. And these indigenous people carved in all these humans and shapes, geometric figures. There's over 800 straight lines, 300 geometric figures, and 70 animal and plant designs. Some of the designs are over a kilometer across, and the total distance of all of the lines combined is 808 miles, about 1,300 kilometers. Okay, this just turned serious. <laughs> uh, I'll be well. While you were describing the the features, I was like, "Oh, this is cool. It's like a it's like a drawing in the sand of the desert." But the eight hundred sandbox. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, Dan, you heard me say that they've been there somewhere around two thousand years. Interestingly enough, nobody really knew they were there until about eighty, ninety years ago. I mean, before that, there were a couple times where two separate conquistadors actually on separate voyages found them, mistook them for like trail markers or the remnants of what they thought were old roads. Okay. And it wasn't really. That makes sense since they're so big. Yeah, like, they are. They're quite large. I, and like I do you. encourage uh, you, dear listener, to look up some photos because they are really interesting, not only in their scope and size, but they're actually really well done, especially for the size, the time. And uh, we'll kind of get into that because the, the makings of them, kind of interesting given the, given the environment. But it wasn't until about 1927 when uh, an American historian named Paul, what do you think, Kosak? Yeah, yeah something like that. Okay. He, uh, he was flying to Peru because he, as a historian, was going to be studying some ancient irrigation systems. And this was right around the time that commercial flight was just starting to crop up. And so this was the first time people had really seen the Nazca Desert from altitude. And he noticed all of these lines, obviously too uh, uniform to be just naturally occurring. And so he started looking into him and did what he could with what he had. But then he was joined by another American scientist named Richard Schadel and a German scientist named Maria Reich. 
and they became uh, the first kind of sum up some sort of idea. And they assumed that the lines were used to indicate celestial bodies. And I guess similar to the, oddly enough, the Georgia Guidestones act as sort of an astronomical calendar. They thought the lines would line up with where certain celestial bodies would be on important days like where they would line up on the horizon. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where the uh, where a certain star would rise or just like peak yeah. up above. Correctly. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I, I saw that they carbon dated this. I know very little about carbon dating, especially how long we've known about it. So I don't know when they actually carbon dated it. But the carbon dating indicated that the design complex was created sometime between 500 BC and 500 AD or they say Whoa. BCE now. No, that's BCE. And then CE. Is that what yeah. replaced it before uh, common era and no. common era? No. Yeah. Okay. I buy it. It's okay. not AD anymore. I, well, I think just to remove the kind of religious. Yeah. Before Christ and Anno Domini. Yeah, Dom, it's really just a name change, though, because it's Dominos. literally the same year that it flips. So, <laughs> yep. you know, <laughs> war on Christmas, but uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, so I, th- I, I did some I did some looking I did some searching and but you didn't know you were going to Peru. Well, no, I literally just did it. Like just okay. did some Googling as yeah. I was talking. So you weren't paying attention to me. No, no. I'm just, uh, assuming well, carry on saying it's not that since, important. <laughs> since you are so damn important, why don't you tell me what you have on your mind? <laughs> yeah. Why, why don't you take second chair here? Let's switch. <laughs> uh, so it, it turns out that the Nazca culture very much extinct. Those, that culture, those peoples are not, not really around anymore. You know, there are people still living in the area. I'm sure there are like little bits of the culture remaining, but just by and large, that's not the case. And the fact that nobody discovered these and recorded it until almost 2000 years after these were completed, that just sucks. Like if these were just intended to be marvels of like human achievement. They achieved it, but just too little too late. And, and yeah, another real callback similar to the Georgia Guidestones. Something uh, of this yeah. import. Why are you hiding it so yeah, far away? Yeah. Um, there are potential explanations for that, but we're not there yet. <laughs> uh, no, thank you for that nice little side. I listened to the last couple words of it. <laughs> well that's makes sense I, I guess though to your point them remaining so distant did kind of help in preserving them because they went untouched for you know 1900 years or something and so that combined with the fact that there is so little rainfall and so little wind in this desert they remain basically untouched until a couple incidents actually fairly recently in 2009, they received unprecedented rain damage. It really only affected a few uh, individual lines. It didn't do like large scale damage, but it was water runoff from the Pan American Highway, which to my understanding is just a system of highways that connects most of 
North and South America. I didn't, uh, this isn't an episode on the Pan American Highway, so I didn't really (laughs) do too much research on that. But that's my understanding. I will see, I did because you put all of the work into these podcasts so I can not put work into the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) Turns out that you, Kane Smith, live maybe 10, 15 minutes away from part of the Pan American Highway. Okay, so I'm going to guess, would that be either Interstate 80 or 35? 35, baby. 35, excellent. Kind of a bummer. I know this, uh, I'm not a fan of bummers, but uh, we've had a few on the show already. <laughs> 80, 35, uh, or actually it might just be Interstate 80 is one of the like most highly trafficked in terms of human trafficking in this country. Yeah. Which I guess I- makes sense just from the fact that it is an east-west interstate that goes a very long distance, but... Yeah, I've also heard that sad statistic. Out with one sad statistic into another. In 2014, <laughs> some Greenpeace activists, of all people, unintentionally disturbed some of the top layer of the soil while trying to place down a large banner promoting renewable energy. Now, my thoughts on this, I'm all for renewable energy. Love it. Great stuff. I'm all for activism about renewable energy. Do you have to do this activism on a thousands of year old, this massive canvas that is a UNESCO World Heritage Site? Yeah. Why choose this yeah. place? Why, why not somewhere well, where people and, will and, see it? T- well, to be honest, <laughs> why, even if there was nothing there, why this location? Ah. Where are you flying to and from? That your flight, your commercial flight would be passing over. A Peruvian uh, honey, desert. look out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you see? What is that? Hey, what is that? Let's go invest in wind, en- wind energy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dan, we've been ripping through the everything about the site itself, but we actually haven't talked much about the lines. So mm-hmm. what... Um, how how did they make these? What were the how how were these made? Uh well, you see, Kane, <laughs> they were carved <laughs> using some very rudimentary iron spoons and sporks. So sporks, yeah, it took a very long time. I didn't realize the Peruvians were so. Uh... <laughs> Uh, that was that little bit of culture that i told you stuck around yeah that's yeah in in kfc restaurants everywhere yeah why why don't you save me from this cane (laughs) okay do you think do you think i should just cut that and we'll just go into me explaining how they were made <laughs> no, you you that that. I'm, I'm cool with that okay <laughs> should i leave in or take out us having this discussion about me leaving it in or taking it out <laughs> how candid do you want to be on this podcast okay so uh, <laughs> spent a lot of time talking about well certainly not a lot of time uh, but we've we, <laughs> okay <laughs> third time's a charm from the top <laughs> take four We've spent uh, most of the time now talking about the site itself, but not actually about these lines. The lines themselves are not, in some of the pictures, they look like they're actually raised up, which is just some sort of optical illusion because they're actually just dug into the ground. Because like I said, 
underneath this top layer of soil that's all it's covered in rust it's covered in iron oxide underneath that is another layer of soil that is in a very contrasting color it's like yellow as opposed to the kind of burnt orangish red of the rust and so they dug these just 10 to 15 centimeter which is i think is like six or seven inches yeah something like that uh, yeah, no. Why do I know that? Because huh? um, we uh, don't have to leave the United um, States, so we're 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 doing fine with the. Uh, um, <laughs> and so they just carved these lines in, revealed that that soil, and even though that's a very simple mechanism, what is so impressive about these really is the scale and the fact that these lines look so straight, and oh, there yeah. are really. When you look at pictures, there's a lot of the actual glyphs that are like the, like I'm looking right now at a picture of the spider. And that's, that's, some of these are artistic and phenomenal, but there is just so many just perfectly straight lines running in all sorts of different directions. It doesn't really make sense. I have no idea why they're there. Nobody really does. Yeah. And just the number of them makes it even that more confusing. And I'm looking at this spider picture that you included here with the notes and, you know, assuming that from top to bottom, the, this spider is probably like a mile long, right? If, if we're talking 800 square miles, uh, we're talking serious distances. Spider is actually, I, I thought that too. The spider is actually one of the smallest ones. Oh man. And I was very disappointed by that. Despite yeah. my crippling arachnophobia, I really wanted the spiders to win one for once. <laughs> but I think the spider itself was only like, I want to say 140 feet across. I don't know how long it is. I didn't see any statistic about that, but I think it's 140 feet across. Well, I mean, that works too for, for this. What I was getting at is that it is so so close to perfectly symmetrical all of the limbs and the actual body of it that even if like these guys were 150 feet or whatever away from each other trying to just eyeball it there's there's no way there's no way it was just like an afternoon of digging some trenches in a shape they thought would be cool this this was planned and very carefully coordinated one another problem is we don't I, radiocarbon dating gives us a ballpark but we have no idea how long it took start to finish for this entire complex if you'd call it that just how long they spent on these it could have been generations yeah because there's overlap with some of the designs some of the figures and some of the like straighter lines that go on for hundreds and hundreds of feet there's overlap some look more faded than others like yeah so that really gets gets the noggin jogging why uh, oh man why (laughs) why are these here so of course the first theory by our friend with the mysterious kosak last name sorry hopefully you're long dead Uh, his his and uh frau reich and Richard Shadle's <laughs> theory was that they were corresponding with celestial dates and bodies. The problem with that was that worked for some of them, but they were also, they had to emit 
a lot of the lines for that to make sense. So it was really kind of a weak, uh, they didn't, they didn't have a ton of evidence, but best they could do at the time. Some of the more recent theories, there's been some recent, uh, like in the nineties, a couple different groups did some, some work there and their kind of leading theory is that it was religious and ritualistic in purpose. And that since it was such an arid desert, it was supposed to be uh, sort of, I don't know if you'd call it like a plea, but kind of, kind of a message to the gods about water. And some of the glyphs actually correspond, like some of the design glyphs correspond with symbols of water and fertility in the, you know, native culture there. And also some of the just straight lines line up with the directions of aquifers and natural aqueducts beneath the surface. I don't know if that is also emitting a ton of them. When you've got this many lines and this many glyphs, it's kind of hard to nail down one thing, especially when it was done so long ago. But you got to think they didn't have planes back then. So how do they coordinate all this? Because it is a huge area and it's not like it's just full of rolling hills where they could. And like you pointed out to me, one, some people just came up with some ridiculous, ridiculous ideas of how this might be done. A gentleman named Jim Woodman, (laughs) who. This is where I put my money. Just so uh, the people Why don't know. you tell me what, what the good Dr. Jim Woodman thought was <laughs> going on doctor. here? Yeah, Dr. Philosophy. Uh, um, yeah, Jim Woodman, he was working on the theory that there's no way that the lines could have been made so straight, so symmetrical, so coordinated without some sort of flight, just to observe that they were coming together properly. And... He did a little bit of a study, which I'm thinking maybe took like two, three hours. Uh, he did a study to figure and out that, what that includes kind of, his lunch break. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, and he's probably Swiss, so it's like a two-hour lunch break. Um, <laughs> a European bastard. So he uh, tried to figure out what kind of technology they were working with at the time, and he suggested that they made a hot air balloon out of the materials available in order to monitor the construction of these glyphs. And he actually used those materials to make his own hot air balloon to, uh, to prove the theory. And it flew after some coaxing. But uh, of course, Mr. Woodman's theory has largely been laughed at and gotten a lot of thumbs down ratings on Yelp. So I'm going to tell you, I didn't go to school for engineering, but if you're trying to tell me that they made a hot air balloon 2000 years ago, shut up, (laughs) shut up, idiot. (laughs) Dumb, dumb, dumb man. (laughs) And you think there wouldn't be a glyph of a hot air balloon? in these glyphs like you don't think that would be recorded somewhere that like human beings left the face of the fucking planet they figured out a hot air balloon capable of sustained flight where they could map these things out i think they would have done something a little more impressive than (laughs) not to not to diminish this fine fine monument but if they had that that know-how i think they would have done something a little different than just moving some earth. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, new, like six, 6,000 foot tall pyramid made of solid tungsten or, you know, <laughs> that's a bit of a jump from a hot air balloon. Yeah. Get my point. And of course we can't get around. We've been, well, I've been apprehensive to bring it up, but there's no way getting around it, Dan. Yeah. A lot of people think aliens are involved. And hey, I make no claims, but uh, you can't really give them certainly not any more credence than any of the other ideas. But in the matter of fairness, this is one of the stranger things. And I'm willing season to give two. Some, oh, oh, season three is July. coming. Oh, God. All right. Well, yeah. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> schlub um, <laughs> let's see if i can get a chance to call you a schlub in every single episode because we're three for three now yeah i'll i'll keep giving you layups i'm sure <laughs> what do you uh what's your take on the alien angle it, just what you said man all we have to do is mention that some human being brought it up and then we can move on because that's just going to be a side effect of hosting the kind of show that we're hosting talking about geographic anomalies is that yes, let me, let me, let me stop you there. Oh boy. Yeah. I had this concern in the first episode. I do not want this to turn into some sort of conspiratorial podcast. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're getting your rocks off thinking about the conspiracy theories behind these geographical, geographical things, get out of here. Delete yeah. We don't it. want you get out of here. Unsubscribe. I'll pay you to stop listening. I don't <laughs> no, want you won't. mucking no, up my won't. numbers. <laughs> yeah, no, I won't pay you, but and that's really, really the best we got. It's an interesting. Wait, what? What? We got to end on aliens? No, but that's the best we got for. It's all up in the air. I mean, in terms of explanations, oh, okay. the best we got is that it's, you know, who knows? And we're not likely going to get any closer i did see i watched a short little documentary from the travel channel about this place and in the section they were covering aliens oh, showing this guy who had some old old peruvian pottery found nearby and he was like well if you look it looks like the kind of things that they say when they're reporting ufos Oh, dear. It's clearly just him holding like a regular ass bowl upside <laughs> down. So it looks like a flying saucer. And it's like, come on. You know that that was not like a little monument of the aliens that helped them build this. That was, that was to hold like soup, like liquids. Oh and you God. turned it upside down. And actually, <laughs> man, I wish I brought this up earlier. When we brought up, uh, what is this fellow's name? Jim Woodman. And I called him the good doctor. I heard you derisively say doctor of philosophy. Are you trying to, are you trying to discredit everyone with PhDs? Uh, in terms of judging and analyzing geographic anomalies. Yes. Wait a second. I'm going to let oh the boy. dead air. You're telling me anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not good. That's not good. Okay. My reputation hey, uh, is being destroyed <laughs> by this podcast. Yeah. I am not going to make it anywhere <laughs> so in any town 
because of this podcast. Oh God. <laughs> um, okay. Dan, what are your parting thoughts? Now think carefully about this. Yeah. What are parting thoughts on the Nazca lines? Obviously worth preserving. Do you think there's any more information we can get from research or do you think that desert is going to remain as barren as it appears now? No, I don't think, I don't think we'll make any significant progress as far as analyzing these things. One thing that I just assume is that some serious mathematics and or astronomy went into creating these, right? Whether it's mathematics to design some sort of tool to be able to, yeah, yeah, the hot air (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's mathematics to design some sort of tool to dig a, you know, 150 foot long trench that's so perfectly straight or, you know, astronomical skills to judge your own movement based on the position of stars, you name it. The fact that this was probably going on here as well as countless other places around the globe, even though these cultures like were not in contact with the Egyptians or the Arabs or the Chinese, like it's incredible that just separate groups of human beings happened upon these skill sets, these sciences on their own and did some incredible things with it. Excellent stuff. Very poignant. Does that mean we Um, can take out the thing about the PhD? I'm going to leave it in, but uh, I will, I will broadcast a message now to the (laughs) listeners who are loyal, very, very loyal to me. (laughs) Take this out on Dan Gavin. He can't help himself. He doesn't know any better, but just trust me. I will groom him. He'll get better. I promise. (laughs) Don't give up on him because I will try not to as well. (laughs) Thank God. Um, Sorry, Dan. I'm here to learn out of the way. Um, That, that is all I personally have to say about the Nazca lines, but I would like to talk about something a little different. We, uh, I have not, I should say I, I'm, I'm at fault here. I have not been very timely with getting this done. Life's been a little hectic. We're going to get over that hurdle. And I had initially planned for our next episode that we were going to record to be about the catacombs of Paris, but I'm thinking that's a bit of a bummer of an ep. I don't really want to do that yet. We can get there sometime, but uh, I'm going to put that one in the can for now. My R&D team is, they are hard at work trying to figure out what to do next. But we'll arrive there. If you have any ideas, I would like to say again, please reach out armchairadventurershow at gmail.com. Anything you want to say, if you just want to talk, if you just want to talk, send an email. I'll respond. Anything else you want to say, Dan? I'm good, man. I'm afraid of what might come out of my mouth now. That's the end of the episodes are always tough for you. Yeah. Where, oh, uh, yeah. The, <laughs> the heat gets turned up a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, Dan, if you're lucky, uh, we'll see you on the next step. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um, please cast your votes in the email. 
so that I can get back on the show, please, please, <laughs> yeah. please. <laughs> it's either him or I've got a, uh, I've got a trained chimpanzee who got <laughs> close to writing a complete sentence on a typewriter. He had a bunch of friends he was working with, but, uh, he got the closest and, uh, Dan hot seat you buddy. Well, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>